Because, as you can tell by my height, my notepad, and my trusty green drink that shall not be named. Mm -hmm. Oh, and the corporate Seb Polo. I am Seb for this Halloween. Let me get a little bit more comfortable. Welcome to Football America. Who are you supposed to be? That's right, the Halloween edition of Football America's episode Seb. 297. Uh, I'm Hercules Gomez. Can't you tell? I got the hipster Jurgen Klopp <laughs> glasses. I got a shirt with way too many flowers. Uh, of course, I got I got some Sounders gear. You got to have your Sounders gear. Yeah, and yeah. I, I know he, he drives around in a car that's worth more than most of our houses, but he calls himself a man of the people. So I got my working class <laughs> MVP hat. Shout out to our good friends in Vancouver. You your boy's not going to win the MVP, uh, but I love a good marketing campaign. By the way, yeah. this is really, if you don't know, Seb has these two things always with them. The trusty <laughs> notepad. And yeah. this man consumes more of this green drink that I shall not name that's like lighter mm -hmm. fluid than anybody I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And yes, the trusty we need corporate a, polo. Yeah, speaking of corporate, we need a, a sponsorship uh, from our good friends there that do the do. We, we need to work on that uh, off camera. Maybe we'll get uh, un patrocinio here for Football Americas as we... Uh, as we look to move forward, moving forward on this edition, Herc, of the show, we got lots to get to. A busy weekend in Liga Mekis, of course, the MLS playoffs underway. We're going to be talking about the U.S. women's national team. They played a, a couple games since we last met, but we have to start with the big news of the day. Just a few hours ago, it was announced that Lionel Messi himself is the winner of the 2023 Men's Ballon d'Or, given annually, of course, to the world's best player, as voted on by a group of 100-plus journalists organized by the magazine France Football. The Argentina and Inter-Miami star has now won the award for a record eighth time after leading Argentina to the World Cup late last year. He beats out Erling Holland, who was second in voting. Holland scored 52 goals for Manchester City, along with winning the treble. But it's not enough. It's Messi's award. How about that, Herc? An active MLS player winning the Ballon d'Or. How big a deal is this? It's a massive deal. Now, look, there are going to be people who will say, well, he didn't win it because of Major League Soccer. We know that. Everybody knows <laughs> that. Nobody here is thinking yes. he was seriously winning this for what he did at League's Cup. Grow up. Relax, okay? Uh, but let me tell you about these fans. Do you know today's like the sports equinox? You know, have you heard mm -hmm. about this? Okay? So it's like all the major sports are lining up to play in one day, Okay. Mm -hmm. I saw tweets online from random accounts tweeting about the major sports. Like mm -hmm. today is going to be NBA. It's going to be MLB. It's going to be fo American football. It's going to be hockey. And then you see all these accounts. What about soccer? What about MLS? What about us? At <laughs> random, just like Twitter accounts. There's a, there's a, I thought you told me MLS was major league. I thought that was our big discussion last week. Are, are you telling me I'm not the only one that doesn't put them in that category? No, My no. What, what, I'm telling, what I'm telling you, what I'm trying to tell you here is mm -hmm. people let it bother them because in this community, they are seeking relevance. They're seek, seeking acceptance so much. You can't get more relevant. You can't get more mainstream or accepted than one of your biggest players or one of the biggest players in the world of all time deciding you are where I want to go. You are my destination. And while being at said destination receives a player for the best player in the world, it receives a Ballon d'Or, it can't get bigger than that. So that, that relevance you're seeking, that credibility, here you go. There's a bit of that. Yeah. He definitely didn't win this award for what he did in Major League Soccer, right? But I think there's a lot of people out there that would say what he did in MLS was 0% of why he won this award. And that may well be true. But I think coming to MLS could have hurt him in this vote. Let's not forget that there was serious competition, right? Erling Holland had 
about as good of a year as you could have records. and not win this award and did it at the highest level consistently in club. So there was very serious competition. Had Messi done what, say, Ronaldo did, which was an offer on the table for Messi, right? Go to Saudi Arabia, fall off the map, a league that's not really relevant domestically, you see the attendance, certainly not as relevant even as MLS uh, internationally. And then on top of that, done what Ronaldo did, which was not what Messi did, which was come here and not just dominate her, but put on a show. He stole headlines in MLS, and he made MLS international headlines. I don't know that I would even go as far as to say that it helped his Ballon d'Or case, what he did in Major League Soccer, but it certainly didn't hurt it. And that's good news. I think not just for Messi and for Major League Soccer, but we know there's going to be a next generation. There's eventually going to be another guy. Maybe it's an Mbappe who's talked about coming to MLS who may still want to be considered for an award like this and seeing Messi do it is big. My bigger question is, can he repeat it? Do we think, Herc, that this is the last Ballon d'Or for Leo Messi? Because the case that I would make is, it really doesn't matter what league you play. And we see that with Messi winning the award here. If he has another great tournament at the Copa Seth. America or in 2026, Seth. he wins a World Cup, he could win it again, even in Major League Soccer. He has to win the World Cup again because the World Cup is the reason he wins this Ballon d'Or. That's the reason. The World Cup trumps the treble for Manchester City. The World Cup trumps anything else you could throw out there, any of the records that Erling Haaland had mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the minds of most people. It's an event that happens every four years. It carries more weight. Now, mm -hmm. will he be around the next World Cup to play? I don't know. But if he wins it in the next World Cup, he'd have to really put on a show for it to even be considered yeah. because you're not in the top five league anymore and you're not mm -hmm. competing for any major silverware from now until then. So I think this is the last one that Leo Messi uh, would win. The last one. We'll see. Hey, you never, you never know. There's always Argentina World Cup qualifiers. He's been lighting those up uh, as well. Speaking of lighting things up, let's go to the Air Divis, where Chucky Lozano lit it up this weekend for PSV. How about that? Uh, PSV taking on Ajax. Ajax is just in disaster mode right now. They just hired actually uh, John Van Schiep, the ex-Chivas manager, to take over today. Ajax were up 1-0, though, in the 20th minute when Chucky levels at 1-1. Yeah, Ajax scores a goal, and Chucky says, not on my watch, not today. Typical Chucky fashion, outside in, near post. He actually just scored this goal against Ghana. Yep. Yeah, reminders a little bit of that goal against Germany back at the uh, 2018 World Cup. It was 3-2 PSV on the hour mark, and Chucky here would make it 4-2. Listen, I know he's alone with the goalkeeper, but this is an excellent finish outside of the boot. Look at this finish. It's not that easy. It's bouncing to him outside of the foot. Good finish. Excellent finish and a confident finish, Herc, right? That's a, that's a finish of a guy who's feeling himself right there to make it 4-2. Chucky Lozano and PSV not done. Just about 12 minutes later, Chucky looking for his hat trick. He got it. Yeah, there were shades of maybe a handball here. Uh, they were calling for it. I think he does the right thing here. Uh, they do the right thing, uh, allow play to go on. It's a Chucky goal. He'll take that. 5-2 the final. PSV in first. Ajax last. Here's Chucky Lozano after the game with ESPN. Chucky Lozano, three goals today. How would you describe this match? Uh, with the team, is is good, good, good work, and good attitude. Uh, the first time is no, no good play, and the second second time is very good play. And the uh, coach talk in the middle is 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 good and uh, good change the the chip for the second time. Yeah. ¿Qué está por un partido por por tú personalmente? 
La verdad que muy contento, muy feliz. Es mi primer eh, hack trick y creo que eso es muy especial con, con un gran rival que es Ajax. Entonces, para mí, creo que es muy, muy bonito. ¿Está hoy la vieja Chucky Lozano? Sí, claro que sí. Eh, estoy adaptándome al equipo, a los jugadores, a, al entrenador y creo que vamos en buen camino y, y creo que eso, eso es muy bueno. All right, excellent work there from uh, our colleagues at ESPN Netherlands. Multilingual reporting there. As we got it in both uh, English and Spanish. Uh, Chucky Lozano breaking out the English language interview. Maybe we'll have him on Fútbol Américas before long as we look at some of these stats from his hat trick hero performance against Ajax in the Dutch top flight. Hurt, what do you think of what we've seen so far from Chucky Lozano over the last couple of weeks? Are we indeed witnessing a career resurgence? I want to be very careful when I. When we say career resurgence, okay, mm-hmm. for a few things. Number one, hat trick is great. I don't care who it's against. We're uh-huh. sitting here and we're saying Santiago Jimenez should go to a bigger league because he scores against the go-ahead Eagles, right? I'm not going to take <laughs> away anything from Chucky Lozano because he drops a hat trick yes. on the worst Ajax team probably of all history. They're, they're last yes. place in the Eredivisie. Minus 21 goals this season. The worst defensive team in the league. They got serious problems. They could get relegated. That doesn't matter to Chucky Lozano, okay? Chucky Lozano now has four goals. In league and Champions League, four goals. That's already more. That's already more than all he did last season with Napoli. So let's not sit here and act like it's not a big deal to see a player regrowing in confidence. You mentioned it in the second goal. Confidence is what I will take out of this. National team. And Eredivisie, he's confident again. He's scoring, and that's going to make him a better player in the immediate. My worry about saying it's a resurgence is a resurgence could only be if he goes somewhere else. Like, if he stays in the Eredivisie at 28 years old, that's, if that's as good as it gets, it's there, that platform. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up in Liga MX or Major League Soccer or Saudi Arabia. There is no career resurgence. Mm-hmm. He needs to use this platform, these goals, for the confidence to do something that's bigger and better the next step. That would be a career resurgence. Do you think that's beyond the realm of possibility? PSV, I think, has him under contract till 2028 or 2029. They only spent like 15 million euros on him. So if he has a brilliant season, if he keeps pouring in hat tricks, do you think at the age of 28 that 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 window for the big move, the move that maybe we're thinking he would make after the World Cup in 2018, after that goal against Germany, do you think that's still a possibility? Because I think from a Mexican international perspective, we're seeing the resurgence. We saw the the goal against Ghana. We saw the assist against Germany. He he looks a better player than he did at any point, really, over the last couple years with the national team. But from a club perspective, I wonder if you think that that window has closed on Chucky Lozano. I don't think it's quite closed. Uh, the age is 28 years old. Most people mm-hmm. say, well, that, that's not that old. The problem is you don't invest in players of that age. Let's say he's got mm-hmm. a good year. That's 29 going on to 30 years old. And where you can go, uh, it will be very difficult. But there are stages after the Eredivisie where one can go, and I think would be a good platform. The league that most strikes me as being able to afford and take a chance would be mm-hmm. the, the Premier League, right? Uh, mm. anywhere in the Premier League. And you could say from there it's it's up to him. But I think it is possible. The problem is right now uh, you'd have to keep doing this and keep scoring at this rate for somebody to take notice of you at that age. You mentioned his goals, his fast start with PSV. Four goals, one assist in six league games. Zero goals, zero assists, and three Champions League appearances. So if we're talking about a, a big jump move, you're probably going to have to do it in the Champions League in those games to really get the attention uh, of some of those bigger clubs. All right, let's move on from Chucky Lozano. Go ahead, go ahead. I think, he's, I think he's got one. I think he's got one goal in Champions League. 
Okay, we'll double check the map. Yeah. Christian Pulisic got his second assist of the season for AC Milan. It came in a game that ended in a 2-2 draw, but there it is in the first half to Olivier Giroud. What chemistry they have heard. Yeah, it's kind of like they played each with each other before. They really know each other's movements. They understand each other. They look for each other on the field. And look at Giroud celebrating with who? Christian Pulisic. So uh, that was his second assist of the Serie A season. Yunus Musa also got the start here. He was involved in AC Milan's second goal, which uh, had them up 2-0 at the half. Uh, unfortunately, things would take a turn for the worse. Then Pulisic gets subbed out at the half. We'd find out why uh, a little bit later on. And from there, Napoli took over. They would score twice in the second half. The game ends in a 2-2 draw as uh, Milan falls to third in Serie A behind Juve and Inter. Here's the explanation for Pulisic's yanking at halftime. According to the manager Stefano Pioli, quote, Pulisic felt a twinge in the adductor, and it was not worth the risk there, even if he was having a great game. And by all accounts, uh, he was. In France, we had another halftime substitution, this time for Falaren Balogun, who got the start from Monaco against Leo, a Leo side, by the way, that had Jonathan David on the bench to start this game. Balogun didn't last the entire match. He was, as I mentioned, subbed off at the half from Myron Boadou. And Monaco uh, would go on to lose this one by a final score of 2-0, just like AC Milan. That result drops Monaco to third uh, in Ligue 1 behind PSG and Nice. So Balogun subbed off at the half like Pulisic. All right, from France, then let's go to Germany, the Bundesliga. You'll notice there's a trend starting here. Gio Reyna getting his first start of the season for Borussia Dortmund against Eintracht Frankfurt. Coming off a big international break, Dortmund down 2-1 uh, at the half. And what do you know, Herc? Uh, Reyna would get subbed off, replaced by Kareem Adeyemi, and Dortmund would go on to draw the game 3-3. Out of the frustration, uh, Dortmund, look, everybody's third. Uh, Dortmund are not alone in third. They're tied for third in the Bundesliga. Four points back of Leverkusen, who lead the league after their win on the weekend. But Dortmund dropping points, unable to get all three, but they do rally from behind against Eintracht Frankfurt to pick up a 3-3 draw. And then finally, in Italy, Tim Weah and Weston McKinney in the starting lineup for Juventus on Saturday against Verona. You guessed it, we got another halftime exit. This time it's Tim Weah, a muscular injury in his right thigh that was confirmed by the club earlier Monday. That could well cost him the upcoming international window for the United States. Uh, Juventus won the game, won nothing. Weston McKinney actually played great. He had to replace Tim Weah uh, at the wingback role. Drew some praise afterwards from manager Max Allegri. All right, Herc, so a worrisome weekend, to say the least, for Americans abroad. Of the Americans subbed off at the half, and I think we could actually add uh, Malik Tillman to this list. But we won't. We'll just focus on these four. Who are you most worried about? Well, listen, in this morning's production meeting, I picked Tim Weah. Uh, Christian Pulisic now is a little more injured than when I had previously thought. But I want to stick with Weah because I'm sure we'll talk a little Pulisic here. Uh, Timothy Weah is in a crucial moment, not only in his club career, but also for the U.S. men's national team because he's highly productive. And productive not in the sense of goals and assists, but being dangerous of who he is. It took him a while to earn Maxi Allegri's trust. He wasn't starting at first, he was still playing, but in the last three games, he's been a starter. And now he's gonna miss the next two games, and potentially, the U.S. men's national team, uh, CONCACAF Nations League game versus uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Now, what worries me is that there are few penciled-in starters mm -hmm. for Greg Berhalter. You can go back to way before the World Cup, in World Cup qualifying, 
He earned Greg Berhalter's trust since the World Cup. By the way, a World Cup in which he scored against, which he was very, very good. He started every single game he's been available for, Greg Berhalter. He seems to be the only constant threat in behind for Greg Berhalter. He's the one player you can count on to always be dangerous. And when certain players are on the field, like Giovanni Reina, like Christian Pulisic, guess who they always look for? It's yeah. Timothy Weah. So I am worried for Timothy Weah and this goodwill he's built up, both club mm -hmm. and country. So there's a worry for me there. Yeah. We talked about it during the last international window. You really feel like, I don't know if there's very few. Yeah, there's probably very few penciled in starters. There's a few of them, though. There's very few who are as consistent as Tim Weah. Over the last year or so, he has really blossomed into that guy. As far as Pulisic, I want to know what you're hearing, because uh, I saw something from AC Milan today. Looks like he might be ready for the next game, which I think is next Saturday against Udinese. What did you see? Oh, I saw there was an injury to his thigh, so... It leads me to believe if there's an injury to that thigh, it's not a precautionary measure, which I read, mm -hmm. uh, the adductor, excuse me, it's not a precautionary measure, that's why he stayed out. It wasn't like it was stiff or it was just tight. There was something that happened there. If something that happens there, given this player's history, his injury-prone history, I am worried. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's fair. I'm not say, uh, suggesting that you should not be worried. You know what was interesting for me is I was keeping an eye on this game as we were working the ESPN FC shift on Sunday. And, of course, I was very online, right? I'm on Twitter kind of as he subbed out and everybody's trying to figure it out. And, of course, when Christian Pulisic is trending, you immediately take note. And I thought for sure it was going to be, you know, USMNT fans freaking out. Perk, it was a lot of AC Milan fans that were very worried about Christian Pulisic. The club is worried about him, and I think that's a sign of a few other things, right? They got some injuries there. Uh, Chukweze has been hurt. Yeah. Rafael Leao has not been as productive. But Christian Pulisic has gotten off to a very good start. And when the Milan fans are almost as worried as the U.S. fans, that's when you know he's doing well. You can't hide how well he's doing. He's in the form of his life. You know, both club and country, his play has aligned. He's one of the more important pieces for Pioli, one of the more important pieces for Milan and how they go forward. I spoke about Oliver Giroud constantly looking for Christian Pulisic, his runs, his movements, uh, where he can get and receive the ball. Rafa Leao as well, always looking to try to switch the ball to Pulisic. And when a player like Rafa Leao isn't responding, Sometimes it is a Pulisic who ends up being one of the better players or at least the player who can uh, provide that spark when your main player isn't that guy. All right, so we had a bunch of Americans that went off at the half of their respective European fixtures on the weekend. Herc says he's most worried about Tim Weah. I'm going a different direction. Okay. Uh, and mine isn't injury-related, and that's probably why it's such a big worry, right? Because it's a tactical decision by the manager I'm going with Gio Reyna, who came off at the half for Borussia Dortmund in their 3-3 draw against Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, this is bad news for me for a few reasons. One, the team seemed to improve without him. Uh, they were down 2-0. They got a late goal in stoppage time in the first half. So it's actually 2-1 when he comes off. But the attack comes to life significantly in the second half. Uh, and they do end up at least salvaging a draw uh, from what looked like in the first half was a defeat. On top of that, um, and you know I'm watching him with... If anything, a favorable eye uh, as somebody who covers Gio Reyna and, and appreciates what he is as a player. He didn't particularly stand out, you know, in the 45 minutes. He didn't look like the guy who I thought we would see coming off the incredible international break, coming off the confidence-building international break with the U.S. And the fact that it was his first stop, I had high expectations. Now, I know that Eden Terzic, the manager, comes out after the game and says, and he wasn't the only guy taken off at the half. There were two changes at the half. But Terzic comes off and says, well, it could have been anybody at halftime. The team was playing so bad. 
The reality, Herc, is it wasn't anybody. Terzic picked Reyna. He picked the guy who he had handed his first start to to get off the field. And that, to me, is this big worry because you talked about trust. And I don't know that Eden Terzic doesn't trust Gio Reyna, but he certainly doesn't trust him as much as he trusts other guys who play the same position. And that, coupled with the reports that we're seeing today and yesterday out of Germany, where the German press is starting her to attach an actual number, an actual transfer fee of value to what Dortmund might want if they were to sell Gio Reyna, it makes me think he's got limited time at this club. I'm not saying that's a bad thing for Gio Reyna. It might be the best thing, but I don't think that's the case for Pulisic. It's not the case for Balogun. It's not the case for, for Weah. I think right now for Reyna, you really got to worry about his future at Dortmund. Worry about his future at Dortmund? No, I think, it's, I think he's done. I think that ship has sailed. It's going to come to an end sooner rather than later. Uh, I think sometimes, especially with a player like Gio Reyna, as long as it's not injury-related right now, I am cool with. Listen, he started two games for Greg mm. Berhalter, played two halves. A guy who hadn't played any minutes. I think he played, what, 24 minutes, 26 minutes, right before he came to the U.S. Men's National yeah. Team to go 45 minutes, 45 minutes, get those starts, and then do the trip back. So to the States and back to Germany, it's going to take a lot out of you physically because you haven't mm. been used to that and then start another 45 minutes. You I think, think they normal. took him off because he was tired or well, you no, think they I, took him off? No, I think okay. they took him off because he wasn't helping. I think he wasn't helping okay. because he was tired. I mean, the guy just okay. started for the first time this year, back-to-back games. I think this is more of a physical issue where he just probably wasn't at his best. But if he's healthy, I'm okay with it. Given his history, I'm okay with it. Okay, there you have it. Uh, Gio Reyna subbed off at the half as uh, Dortmund get a 3-3 draw against Eintracht Frankfurt. Let's run it back with some more action from Americans and Mexican players uh, abroad. We're actually going to start with Orbelin Pineda, who gets his second league goal of the season for IAK. They won 2-0. Now third place in the Greek league, Herc. Okay. Okay, Europa League goal last week. He gets a second league goal this week. It's a good finish, diving header. Yeah. Let's do it with the national oh, team. Here we go. Let's do it with the oh, national team. I'm just saying, Orbelin's one of those guys who could produce a little bit more at the national team level. Uh, I'd love to see it. So there we have uh, Orbelin Pineda with a goal for IK. They won 2 uh, 0 over PAOK in the Greek Super League. From Greece, we go to Spain. Andres Guardado becomes the non-Spanish-born player with the most games played ever for Real Betis. The magic number, 208, passing the Brazilian great Herc Denilson. Denilson! Uh, this is ridiculous if you think about it because he's, uh, he's played in so many different teams in Europe. Stellar career, the Bundesliga, Eredivisie, La Liga. This man will go down as one of the top five Mexican players to ever play the game. Real Betis and Getafe playing to a 1-1 draw on the day. Matt Turner in goal for Nottingham Forest against Liverpool. They lost 3-0. The third goal here, Herc, is he at fault? Um, uh, why are you asking me if he's at fault? <laughs> well, What's the defender doesn't exactly help. What street the are defender you looking for? Help. Like, what street was he looking for? My man was lost. Mo Salah with the uh, finish as Liverpool beats Forrest 3-0. Remember, we've been talking about Forrest just signed another goalie, so uh, we'll see if Matt Turner can hold on to the job. Meanwhile, in Brazil, Johnny Cardoso with his first assist of the Brazilian season. Listen, 
Word on the street for reports. This man is already signed for next season, Real Betis. It looks like Johnny Cardoso is going to La Liga. International of 4-3 losers against Coritiba on Sunday. Tanner Tesman playing in the Italian second division with his first assist of the season. I mean, everybody just parted there. It's, it's a very simple pass. He made it look very easy. There's just nobody on him. Good assist. Venezia, 2-1 winners there over Pisa in Serie B. Jonathan Gomez with his second assist in La Liga 2 this season. Yeah, and you know what? Picking up at the right time this next year is going to be crucial for Jonathan Gomez, who's going to look to be one of those uh, Olympic prospects for the U.S. Men's National Team. Jonathan Gomez and uh, Mirandes, 2-1 winners over FC Cartagena on the weekend. And a reminder, the Carabao Cup is coming up this week on ESPN+. Plus. Maybe Edson Alvarez and company can get back on the winning track, although it won't be easy. They face off against Arsenal in the round of 16. Producer Beto, an Arsenal fan, says emphatically <laughs> into my ear, hell no. All right, we will see. That's a Wednesday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, live right here on ESPN+. We continue on with our Halloween edition of Football Americas. Herc is dressed as Seb, Seb dressed as Herc. U.S. Women's National Team taking on Columbia on Sunday in San Diego at Snapdragon Stadium, 14th minute. The U.S. with a chance, but Lindsey Horan sees her header saved. Yeah, I just couldn't generate enough power over two players, but right at the goalkeeper. U.S. pushing forward in the 21st minute. Alex Morgan with the chance. She's denied. Yeah, and it's a good chance as well. I mean, it falls to her. She sees a goalkeeper, a good clear chance. Just couldn't pick her corner out. Look at this. Tons of time and right at the goalkeeper. One of a few missed chances on the day for Alex Morgan. It was uh, scoreless at the half, and that's when the U.S. made some changes. Jaden Shaw, who plays in San Diego, and Mia Fisher, who's from San Diego, come on. Columbia actually starting the second half on the attack. Check on the shot. Casey Murphy, the save. Yeah, Casey Murphy, I mean, it was right at her, but you still have to be there. You still have to make the save. Maybe could have picked a corner. Couldn't generate enough power. Ends up being a good save. Remember, U.S. drew against Columbia 0-0 in the first match. So it took until the 56th minute of the second match to break through. And there she is, the aforementioned Mia Fischelherk. I mean, it, it, it's a great header. Uh, just gets enough height onto the ground. The celebration like a shark. She got it. Fischel with a goal to make it 1-0. Lindsey Horan, the sweet volley to make it 2. This is a nasty finish. I mean, she's got a goal, she's got a player coming out, doesn't matter, just strikes it very nicely, very well. Lower corner. Emily Fox with the assist, and then in the 83rd minute, the U.S. back at it. Alyssa Thompson, gonna find Jaden Shaw, and how about that for a hometown hero goal? All right, Lindsey Horan, great pressure. Uh, Alyssa Thompson steals the ball, initiates a transition play, good pass, it's great touch of control, and a dirty finish, Romario-esque. U.S. women, 3-0 winners over Columbia. All right, Herc, let's talk about the newcomers because we finally got to see them. Who stood out to you, and do you think that they can actually make the Olympic roster in what, uh, eight, nine months' time? Jeez, it's coming up quick. Yeah, the kids stood out. The kids. I mean, mm -hmm. Mia Fischel, Jaden Shaw, Alyssa Thompson, the kids. Is this what you should have been doing 
in the lead up to last Olympics or last Olympics. It's preparing for the next Olympics by playing the kids. When you don't play the kids, Seth, guess what happens? You show up to a World Cup with players, mm. some players who are either a little over where they should be and other players who don't have the, the experience necessary to play at that level in a major tournament. They show you that they can help. They show you that they belong. Listen, Alex Morgan is going to be 35, I believe, heading into next season. She doesn't have the same productivity with the national team that she does at the NWSL level. I believe in all comps in the last two seasons, NWSL, it's like 27 goals. She, she, she should be respected there. And by all accounts, she should be respected on the U.S. Women's National Team as well. But when we mm -hmm. talk about major tournaments, you look at her, and this is Stephen Goff had a great article about this in the Washington Post. Look at the last 15 games in, in major tournaments. Two goals. Two goals. Mm -hmm. So you leave a player like, uh, like um, Ashley Hatch at home so you don't have another natural striker. You're more now relying on veteran players like you did Megan Rapino, etc. at the World Cup instead of bringing in the next generation, letting these kids mm -hmm. flourish. Because you do have a good base, an exciting base, but you need to let these kids play. I don't know if you saw the explanation from our good friends at U.S. Soccer as to why this was the first time that we were seeing I the did. official uh, with the national team. Because official for me was definitely the standout uh, of the second game of the international window. Apparently, playing at Tigres, even if you're scoring 35, 40 goals, whatever she scored, uh, is not at the level to be considered for the national team, which is super interesting, Herc, because we know... The national team was looking at players who were in college, players who were who in high school, players who were not playing professionally at all. And by the way, in some of those instances, Alyssa Thompson High School, Julia is not playing at all. They weren't just looking at the players hurt. They weren't just kicking the tires on those players. They took them to the World Cup. They didn't even kick the tires on a player like Mia Fischel. Because why? Because they disrespected the level of Liga Mekis Femenil. That's a mistake. We now see the type of player she is. She didn't just turn into that player after... Uh, what is it, uh, three games at Chelsea, three games at Chelsea. She's been that player. And who knows, Herc? We saw what the U.S. had problems with at the World Cup. You don't think Mia Fischel could have helped? Of course. Any one of those players who played to, who played in this game could have helped. And that's, that's the part that frustrates one because I remember the Olympics. I remember the showcase. I remember the players. I remember them trouting out the tour afterwards. And right before the World Cup, these players aren't playing. The younger players didn't have that experience. So when they get to the World Cup, what do you think is going to happen? How do you think they're going to respond or react? You got to let these kids play. They can be of worth. And Mia Fischel is one of them. Yeah. The big question is, is there enough time? And are there enough spots on that Olympic roster to really see a generational overhaul? We know at the Olympics, it's usually only 18 spots. It's fewer than the World Cup. And there's not a lot of time, Herc. That's why you usually don't see a lot of turnover from a team at the World Cup to a team at the Olympics. Of course, now with a new manager and coming off the worst World Cup ever for the U.S., you That's figure thing, we will manager. see some of that. We will see some of that. Yeah, let's get to the new manager. It's almost like you were looking ahead in the rundown. <laughs> the Athletics, specifically Meg Linehan, uh, reporting that U.S. soccer has three names in specific on their shortlist. They are Tony Gustafson, who, of course, is the uh, ex-U.S. Women's National Team assistant under Jill Ellis. He was managing Australia at the last World Cup. There's uh, Joe Montemuro, who we don't know too much about, but he is managing at Juventus now in the Italian top flight. Uh, and then last but not least is the name that probably is most familiar to NWSL fans, and that, of course, is Laura Harvey. Been around the league forever, uh, most recently and currently with O.L. Reign. All right, so, Herc, what do you think uh, of the candidates that we've got there? Among them, do you have a favorite? 
to take over the U.S. women's national team job. All right, Montemoro and, and Laura Harvey have never coached at the international level. They would be okay. rookies, novices at this. Uh, the best candidate in the world, because according to Matt Crocker, he says we're looking for the best candidate in the world. That mm. would be Serena Wiegman, and she's not oh. available. So if you okay. go off that, the next best would be Tony Gustafsson. Just he's the most decorated. Uh, can it available to okay. you? You're sticking to the international game. You're not going into like club managers because I throw like an Emma Hayes or somebody in there. You're sticking to international experience managers. Well, Got hold, it. hold on. I, it's the best fit for this team out of these candidates, right? Because the candidates are the candidates for Matt Crocker. So if we're going off what Matt Crocker and the reports say, it's one of these three. The best candidate is Tony Gustafsson. He's the most decorated coach. You saw what Australia did. Australia got a deep run, semifinals, without mm -hmm. their best player, Sam Kerr. Like, mm -hmm. obviously has experience at the international level, knows this pool of players, can be enticed. I believe he's still under contracts. So you may have to buy him out, may be enticed mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the U.S. women's national team of actually building something. I think he's the best fit. I repeat. Serena Wiegmann is the best candidate out there. So if Matt Crocker mm -hmm. wants the best candidate, that's her. But in his data-driven craze, okay, it's Tony Gustafsson, and he's the best candidate of these three. It's data-driven craze, Herc. It's also like availability, right? We are in between major tournaments, so you're not going to have access to the, the entirety of the pool of managerial talent. That's just the reality. In fact, I think that's probably... I agree with you that Gustafsson may be the best fit of the three, but I think that actually is probably going to keep them from getting Gustafsson. I think he may end up staying with Australia. He's talked about wanting more investment from the Federation. Maybe he could use the supposed interest here from the U.S. to get a better job, to get more support for his team. But I could see him wanting to stick out at least this cycle with Australia. Montemuro, I don't think we know enough about him. I think at this point it'd be a, a real shot in the dark. If you're Matt Crocker, do you really want to go that far out on a limb with your hire, such an important hire. I think Laura Harvey is the smart and likely choice here. She's been around the Federation forever. She's been around the league forever, Herc. She's very well respected. And she is a safe fit if you're Matt Crocker, because you can hire her, you can take her what? through the Olympics. If things go wonderful, you keep her on. If things go badly, you get rid of her quietly. Nobody's gonna make a stink. And then as Matt Crocker, now you can really go out and hire your person with the entire pool available to you. I believe Laura Harvey was one of the candidates in 2019, right? Lost mm -hmm. out to uh, to Vlako Andonovsky and ended up coaching under Vlako Andonovsky. She had mm -hmm. the, the U20. How similar to Vlako would this be? That is my Ooh. worry. That mm. is my worry here, Seb. You're going back to where you once were. You're not doing what the rest of the world is doing. You're not trying to be proactive. You're not trying to, to, to be innovative. You're not trying to get the mm -hmm. best candidate out there if you're telling me it's Laura Harvey. Uh, those are my reservations. Yep, it's a good point. The uh, skill set necessary for an international manager, vastly different from what you would need to be successful in the National Women's Soccer League, as we found out in the case of Vlatko and Donovsky. All right, one more bit of news from the women's game here, Herc. We've got the Ballon d'Or on the women's side announced today as well. It is Aitana Bonmati. She, of course, helped lead Spain to the World Cup title this past summer. The 25-year-old was the golden ball in Australia and New Zealand. Sophia Smith, who was the only American among the finalists, finished 25th in the voting. Sophia Smith, one of two NWSL players, were finalists. Debinha was the other one. But there you have it. Aitana Bonmati of Spain wins the Ballon d'Or. We're ready to go. Round one.
one of the MLS Cup playoffs get started in Philadelphia. Swung into the air, Herrio, could not have started any better. And then Boanga comes inside, get any bucket on that one. no better striker in Major League Soccer, Stephen May. by the defending champions. La baja bien de cabeza, la tiene Rena, pinche de pina, le pegó de turno, gol. Lo hizo el capitán, lo hizo el doctor Herrera. What a weekend of MLS playoff action. Let's start with Sporting Kansas City. Herc in their 4-1 away win at St. Louis. The 8 beating the 1 on Sunday night. It didn't look like the 8. It didn't look like the 1. Hey, look, this, this is Alan Polito's contribution here. It's the flick-on header, and you're telling me they ride him 4-1 to one and only one Alan Polito play? Woo. Sporting Kansas City, big winner. So are LAFC. They thumped Vancouver 5-2 on Saturday, Her. Yeah, listen, Denny Boanga is ridiculous. Like, the amount of goals this man has, it's insane what he's done with LAFC, how he's changed this team. This should be over. Boanga with a brace, Hollingshead with a brace. Philly, 3-1 winners over the New England Revolution. This one hurt 3-0 at the half. Yeah, it got ugly and real quick. I'm going to be honest. I turned on the Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury fight <laughs> like minute 35. After I was like, this one's over. I was right. Yes, you were. You've been right about uh, quite a few things on the old uh, MLS Cup playoff side of things. Cincinnati, 3-0 winners over the New York Red Bulls. Alvaro Barreal and Lucho Acosta, the scores for Cincinnati. Yeah, soon to be MVP with the goal right there. But watch this touch and finish. This man's gone. He's Europe-bound. Yeah. Since he's got to yeah. look for a new left back. So Cincy, 3-1 winners in game one. Meanwhile, Houston in the Western Conference, 2-1 winners at home in game one against RSL. Ache Ache with the goal, baby! I mean, Ache Ache and the Houston Dynamo already U.S. Open Cup champions. And uh, getting off the right foot here, Ache Ache got some going. <laughs> Ridiculous campaign for him. Houston, 2-1 winners. Just going final, Orlando against Nashville. Orlando, one nothing winners on this golazo. Oh, you can't strike it better than that. Honey tries to, Galea's it right there. Just barely gets the fingertips there. Orlando SC, one nothing winners. Cartagena, the goal score there in the 41st minute. All right, Herc, uh, we still got one more game to go in terms of the MLS Cup game ones here. But of the games that we do have a final score on, Herc, which winner impressed you the most? Sporting Kansas City. <laughs> Look at that. Look at this guy. He's so happy to say he was right. Listen, it's not that I'm right. The numbers would also indicate that, yes, I am right. This is uh, Sporting Kansas City's fourth game unbeaten. Uh, this is St. Louis's third game that they've lost. They went in into St. Louis and completely hammered the best team in the West. I don't care if they're an expansion team. Mm -hmm. This is a massive failure for St. Louis to host this game at home, have the season that you had, and then have your main rival, Kansas City, pound you that way? Mm -hmm. It wasn't one, it wasn't two, it wasn't three. It was four goals, and it could have been much worse. I've not seen 
Kansas City respond this way in quite some time. In fact, I believe it was the first time that they've scored a road goal in the first half of a playoff in 20 years, Seb. Mm. This is a different Kansas City, a different sporting Kansas City, and the way they played against St. Louis, pressing them, making them cough off the ball in precarious positions and forcing Roman Berkey to be much more of a factor than he should have been in this game. It, it, it was uh, it was one of the uh, worst performances I've seen from a favorite team in quite some time. Mm -hmm. Is St. Louis done? You think there's any chance of a comeback? No, because this format lends itself to give them a lifeline and a second lifeline and a third lifeline. So That's you do think St. Louis has a chance? You do think they have a chance? Of course, and I feel bad for mm -hmm. Kansas City because you wipe the floor with St. Louis and that score doesn't matter anymore. You drop four goals in St. Mm -hmm. Louis and you've got to turn the page and act like that never existed. And now, yeah. theoretically, St. Louis could tie the next game, win on PKs, tie the next game. straight to penalties. We're tie the next game. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Tie the next game, win on PKs, so they could not win one single game, just win the PK <laughs> shootouts in advance. So it gives them yeah. lifelines. Yeah, you think people are pissed about the uh, best of three right now? Imagine if, if that goes down. I know the folks in St. Louis are mad on top of everything. The scheduling was very much against them. Not happy with the late kickoff time on a school night there in St. That Louis weird. to start the playoffs. All right, so you picked something out of the Western Conference that you were most impressed by. I will go Eastern Conference. And this will, again, hurt my D.C. United heart as we travel up I-95. But I got to give some love to Jim Curtin and the Philadelphia Union and what they did against the New England Revolution. Now, we got to point out, the New England Revolution are a team hanging by a very thin thread. We know what this New England Revolution team has been through over the last two to three months. And I picked them to go out in this series against Philadelphia. That said, I did not think it would look this easy. Herc, you turned it off, it looked so easy. What was shocking to me is how quickly this game was over. Three goals in basically the first half hour it was over by halftime, and for those who want to make a point against the best of three, perhaps you could make the argument around the Sporting Kansas City-St. Louis series. I think you could look at this series as well, because this is a playoff game between two teams that have a rivalry. There should be some intensity, and yet after 35 minutes, once that third goal hits, you're almost wondering from a, like a rev standpoint, do you just pull everybody off and just kind of say, well, let's rest up for game two? That's not what a playoff game should feel like. So for me, there was some disappointment, actually, in watching this game. But I was very impressed with Philadelphia. I was also, I have to say, we saw the highlight, very impressed with Cincinnati. I thought New York Red Bull, especially coming off that fiver that they put up in the wild card round, would maybe have a little momentum, maybe give them some trouble. Lucho Acosta, amazing finish. And you're right about Alvaro Barreal, man. We got to start talking about this guy more, more before he is gone. He is a very, very special player in Major League Soccer. Not just the, uh, the Puskas, you know, uh, one-hit wonder. He's got something to him for real. He's gone. He's gone. There's, there's no way he stays past this postseason. If Cincinnati's, I, I think, per report, already looking for another left back or, or another wing back. But he's had a hell of a season, and he continues to show us why he's one of the premier players, not only for FC Cincinnati, but in Major League Soccer. So there we have it. The uh, MLS Cup Playoffs full steam ahead, and we will be covering them uh, throughout the rest of the season here on Football Americas. All right, let's go from Major League Soccer to Liga MX, the two leagues that frequently do business together. Now involved in their own respective regular seasons. Huge game down in Mexico on the weekend. Club America against Rayados. Herc told you this is where America was going to have their issues. Well, two minutes in, Las Aguilas, they've got something else to say. Cabecita Rodriguez with the finish. Yeah, I mean, the whole back line for Monterrey, you're going on 
crazy levels in that depth chart. They've got like eight guys injured. And then to boot, minute 18, Maxi Mesa, he gone, red card. Rayados reduced to 10 men. Not a situation you want to find yourself in against the league leaders and a team on a great unbeaten run. 21st minute, America with the man advantage. Going long ball, and how about that for a finish from Cabecita? It's not an easy finish. He turns his back on the ball. Look at this. It's a nice little run. He has to turn his back on the play after it bounces over his shoulder. Boom. America up 2-0. Team seemingly under control in the 32nd minute. Las Aguilas on the attack again. Going to find to Alejandro Sendejas. He passes it in for the third. Yeah, and Sendejas is instrumental not only in the finish, but in the buildup. And this is a great layoff right here by Henry Martin. And Sendejas just passes it into that corner. America cruising 3 0. So we go into the second half. And Brian Rodriguez and Jesus Gallardo get tangled up here. And you could tell watching this game from the reaction, you see it there from the referee, there was immediate concern for Brian Rodriguez. And then the back and forth starts between the two teams. Herc, what do you think of this play? All right, there's a lot to unpack here, okay? Because mm -hmm. if you look at the play by itself, it doesn't look like a malicious play, but there is history to this. There is context mm -hmm. that we need to give to the actual buildup to this play. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Does Club America then finish off the 3-0? So here is the context that you mentioned. Brian Rodriguez uh, speaking after the match about Jesus Gallardo. His words were, if you keep showboating, I'm going to injure you. If you keep attempting back heels or cutting back or doing what you are doing, Rodriguez would continue, but I was just playing football. They were going to kick me anyway, and that's how it was. So Brian Rodriguez saying there, Jesus Gallardo intentionally out to hurt him. And of course, Rodriguez's teammate, Jonathan Dos Santos, had this to say. That's how Gallardo left him. And he warned him before the play that he was going to harm him. I'll leave it at that. So later you all can say it was not ill-intentioned. This is how it's going to go for Gallardo. That's uh, taken from a walk and talk video, right? As uh, the players were leaving the stadium and boarding the bus there for America. Jesus Gallardo, in his own right, has offered this defense via statement, quote, I completely deny the accusations that have been made against me regarding the intention to harm him. And I read the statements that were made about me at the end of the game. I recognize and appreciate that he already approached me to apologize. I really appreciate Jonah for all the moments we have shared and I took the opportunity to tell him exactly what I feel. All right, so as we mentioned there, a lot to unpack. Uh, let's start with this. You're a footballer. Do you think it was a dirty play from Gallardo? All right, so the play itself is not mm -hmm. dirty, okay? Let's just unpack how this goes. Uh, Monterrey is playing against Club America at home. Monterrey's mm -hmm. had an injury-riddled season, something like mm -hmm. eight injured, right? Minute two, they're already down, okay? Yeah. Minute 18, they're frustrated. Minute 18, they get a red card. So now mm -hmm. you got to play over 70-something minutes, a man down. And if you're in that type of game, it is tiring, you're exhausted, mm -hmm. it is frustrating, you want to go home, you want to kick the opponent, especially if the opponent... It's kind of laughing in your face as they're beating you a man up, which seemed to be, per reports, what they were telling Brian Rodriguez. Sigues pisando el balón. If you keep showboating, if you're mm -hmm. doing this, I'm going to break you. I'm going to hurt you. 
I keep hearing these codes. What stays on the field, what happens on the field stays on the field. Um, that's of yesteryear. Things have changed. Those things where you could say what you want, do what you want, it doesn't come back to haunt you, that is gone. Right before this play, there is a corner kick. You can see Gallardo and you can see Brian Rodriguez and another Monterrey player talking mm -hmm. and, and Gallardo tells him this. Keep doing what you're doing and I'm going to break you. In that play, you can see Gallardo's left arm, his hand, mm -hmm. pull back Brian Rodriguez. And as he's going down, it's the, and I've been there before, I'm going down because he slips on the ball. You're coming mm -hmm. down with me. Do mm -hmm. I think he meant to injure, do I think he meant to hurt Brian Rodriguez? No. I do think he meant to take him down. And in that yep. taking him down with the yep. slipping uh, that happened to both players, he didn't see the leg ends up crushing uh, behind the knee and is, ends up getting injured. Yep. The thing here is, it's not just that he said he was going to do it and coincidentally it happened. Per reports, the coaching staff for Rayados, who used to be mm -hmm. the coaching yep. staff last year of America, were saying, if you break them, I'll pay for it. So they were mm. also they were also inciting the violence, yeah. and that's where. But did you see the images of Tan Ortiz and uh, Brian Rodriguez kind of hugging it out after the match? I did not. I did not. But uh, that that's neither here nor there. If that was actually said, that's where there should be an investigation. Yeah. To me, man, wouldn't that be a story? Remember when that happened? The Saints in the NFL, the Bounty, uh, the Bounty Gate scandal. Yeah. yeah. Um, to me, it's a player out of control. Now, what the intent is behind that, I don't know, but it seems like there's a, an anger or a rancor there. And when you're a player out of control, you're kind of hurt ultimately on the hook for what you do, especially if what you do is endanger another player, which he obviously does here. He does it even without the injury. You know, he has endangered the other player by going in from behind at that level of speed. Club America apparently here want a suspension for Jesus Gallardo that would match the amount of time that Brian Rodriguez is going to be out. And if you saw the very scientific statement that was released today by Club America describing the injury, it seems like Brian Rodriguez is going to be out a long time. Is, is that fair on Gallardo? I mean, that seems like a very um, ancient way of doing justice. An eye for an eye. you got to be out as long as the other guy. That's I, never I, been applied before in it's soccer. It's never been applied before. I've not seen yeah. it. Listen, I, I've seen players go after other players. This doesn't seem like the case where he went after him. It seems like a case where he was frustrated and he tried to win the ball because he could have kicked him, but he tried to win the ball, but he slips. And if you can see the play, I don't know if production has it, but if you can see the play, he slips on the ball as mm -hmm. he's going down. And listen, I work here at ESPN LA with, you know, ex-NBA players. Richard Jefferson showed him the play. Everybody was in, under the same uh, tone or same light in the play. You're going mm -hmm. down, you're coming with me. And in that you're coming with me, it just lands on the back of his knee. Okay, it's one of those things because of the way they both slipped, it happened. It was circumstantial. But should you take into account the threat that was made? I don't care if it's mm. in a game or not in the game, whatever the case may be. That could be something that maybe the league takes into account. I'm not so worried. I don't think anything's going to happen to Gallardo. I hope the death threats, which are crazy, yes. to Gallardo stop. But I do think there should be a, an investigation to the coaching staff and if those statements were made. We have yet to see uh, whether Jesus Gallardo will be suspended by Liga Mekis, uh, but surely more to come on that story. What about the game itself, Herc? We discussed it on the last edition of Football Americas. The Club America had this brutal schedule coming up. First in line was Rayados of Monterrey, the big spenders in Mexico. And look what America did to them. Three-nothing. Have they convinced you yet? Are you Are ready you to give my boy some flowers? Are you not going to take into account the red card? 
in the first Are half. Are you ready to give my boy some flowers from your I shirt? Mean, Maxi Mesa made the same uh, play that Julian Quinones oh, no. oh did a few weeks ago, except he got red carded for it. Are you not going to just acknowledge how the red card ruins the game? America's players could get red cards. They don't get red cards. Oh, that's strange. <laughs> that's a strange statement from you. <laughs> I mean. And listen, the game is... The game is Condition Are you by making the red excuses? Card. Is Tigres Television making excuses for Rayados right now? Why? Please. Why? Why would they make excuses? You're saying they got a red card. Oh, this and that. Please, America would would have beat that team with 13 guys on the field. What's that little graphic say? I don't know. It says they reached. It, it, it says only Leon won the title out of all these teams in these extended beaten runs. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't bode well for your America. So you said they're due for a loss. Do you think that loss is coming in a regular season, or you think it's coming in Liga? Regular season for sure. I mean, they got to play Tigres oh. last game of the season. Yeah. Can I be honest? The Brian Rodriguez injury, aside from all the drama around it, is is very worrisome coming out of this game from an America perspective. You know, it was Diego Valdez first, and then he looked around and he said, okay, well, Brian Rodriguez is playing the, the football of his life. He is, he was in some ways America's version of Tim Weah, a guy you were starting to count on to be dangerous every time out. Uh, and so to see him injured now, Definitely gives me some pause. I would have come out of this game 3-0 against Rayados very, very confident. But it seems like every time America takes a step forward, uh, somebody gets hurt, you know, and there's kind of a step back. So I felt good about this on uh, on the weekend. But now that Herc's uh, poo-pooing it, maybe I don't feel so good well, about, listen, about this 13-game unbeaten streak. Jonah, Jonah Rodriguez is, is picking back up. He's looking like the old Jonah, the old cabecita. Mm -hmm. uh, Alejandro right. Sendejas is finding the back of the net again. Henry Martin, though he did come out a little knocked up out of this game, so we will have to wait and see how he is. He's getting better. He's being more involved in the goals, whether he's, he's not putting them away himself, but he's involved in that direct play. Uh, assisting. So, America is getting stronger. And listen, they posted a shout-out. And after what Malagón like, went through against Santos, you mm -hmm. should have been a little bit worried about his psyche. He didn't really get tested, but a shout-out is a shout-out nonetheless. A shout-out is a shout-out. And America gets one 3 nothing over Rayados. What about the aforementioned Tigres of Tigres TV? That's right. They were taking on producer Beto's Chivas uh, in a big game. Not a big enough game for Amari Vergara, right? Didn't he get married? Is, is that the story here? Or? No, no, he didn't get married, did he? I think he was he, either at a wedding or something, but he missed the game. And maybe that was good for him because Tigres rolled. Nico Ibanez with the goal there in the 15th minute. Yeah, old trusty Nico Ibanez. He's going to do it again. Just stalls his run. Near post finish. It's 2-0. And it should have been a lot more, honestly. Yes, well, eventually it was a lot more thanks to the repatriados. Diego Lainez have some. I mean, ridiculous strike. Maybe Wacho Jimenez should have gotten a little bit more on it, but this is a ridiculous finish right there by Marcelo Flores. Let's listen to Velko Paunovic, the Chivas manager after the game. Today has been an accident. Ha sido un accidente con primer gol, es un accidente, es un error que puede pasar. Segundo gol, también un poco falta de, de atención o de urgencia. Y después, mira, yo sinceramente eh, siempre lo voy a decir. Yo prefiero estar de este lado eh, atacando. Cuando, cuando tengo a, a, al campo lleno, cuando tengo a mi afición aquí apoyando, con 0-2, yo no voy a meterme atrás. All right, Herc, Velko Paunovic in defensive mode as Chivas fall 4-0 against Tigres. Are we giving him a get lost? <laughs> I 
absolutely get lost. It's one of those mm-hmm. things, right? Like, what's closer to Chivas' reality? Is it the four goals they dropped on Atlas or the four goals they ate by Tigres? By the way, they also ate four goals by America. Uh, and here's the thing. Chivas have not been good. They've got two wins in their last eight games in all comps. That includes that Rose Bowl game versus Club America. And you could say it's a friendly, but there are no friendlies between these two teams. Actually, you know what? In that span, they didn't score in four of those games. And also Mm. in that span, okay, they had two or more goals scored on them in another four games. So not only can they not attack, but they can't defend as well. Velko Panovic's team, it's a shadow of what we saw last season. It's not even close, remotely close to the intensity, the tactical awareness, the unity, the, the, the hope they once had. This is a team with no confidence. And you can say what you want right now about them being in seventh, okay? Mm-hmm. But you take away that final they played last season, and over the last eight, nine years, they're perennial ninth place finishers in league play. They're heading there right now. They got Queretaro next. They've not mm-hmm. beaten Queretaro in the last six games. So if I was Velko Panovic, I would stop talking about accidents because he may be right. The final two goals came in like 85th minute and 90th minute, if so. Mm-hmm. But this game was never, never even close. You ask which is their reality. I think both can be your reality, right? You can be a team that can beat Atlas, scoring four goals, and then also lose to Tigres and ship a bunch of goals against America. The more important reality, I would think, from a Chivas perspective, is what you're doing against America and Tigres, right? Because that's ultimately what you're going to get judged on, and that is their reality. You think Paunovic is right now regretting the fact that he didn't take the job in Spain at, uh, at Almeria? No, no. I mean, honestly, I think that was a, a smokescreen. I don't even really ever think it was, his, it was there for him. But uh, mm-hmm. listen... He's got his hands full right now because he's got bigger problems. Could you imagine if this team doesn't make the play-in? Could you imagine I if mean, they don't make the play-in? Could you see that they've got, they've got Querétaro, as you mentioned, next? they got Cruz Azul and Pumas uh, after that. Do you think there's some danger that they could drop that far down? As you mentioned, seventh right now. Querétaro, they've not beat them in the last six. Cruz Azul, I don't care what their record is. They, they, they make some games against good teams. When They're they play, a wild card. When they played Club America, card. they were the better team until Charlie Rodriguez oh, got red card. No, they were. They were the better team until Charlie Rodriguez got red card. Do you remember that? Right. Yeah. Everybody's better until yeah. they get red card. And, and, and when they played against Tigres at El Volcan, they were the better team and it actually took a referee like screen interference for Carioca to score that late, late game uh, winner at the death. So the, Cruz Azul is in games and Pumas, I think Pumas is a dangerous team. So, yes, Chivas, Chivas has to worry a bit here. All right, so there you have it. That's the, uh, the all-in on a weekend in Liga MX where America wins big over Rayados and Chivas fall big uh, against Tigres. So let's go to the second division of American soccer, the USL Championship. Oh, my goodness. What a playoff dream we had. Charleston, the three-seed, taking on Birmingham Legion, and Charleston wins 2-1. to one. Our boy Fidel Barajas with an assist hurt. Yeah, good ball in. And look at this one. Anybody? Anybody come come there, mark them a little ping pong action, and boom. That'll be so the eventual I, game winner. That's right. Uh, I had this as part hurt, part of an Eastern Conference parlay. The other half of that parlay was Louisville to beat Detroit and Danny Cruz's team. They took care of business. Big winners, 4 nothing. Yeah, you got some problems. Uh, well, let, let me apologize to uh, Louisville. As Shaq would say, I wasn't familiar with your game. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is one of those teams that I should have had going a lot further yes. than I had in my initial playoff 
Uh, bracket. Look at this finish. That's just dirty. Just toying with them. Picking against Louisville to make the conference finals is like picking against the sun to rise in the morning. To the west, Sacramento against San Antonio. And Sacramento beat the reigning champs 1-0. Yeah, listen, man. Uh, I did pick Sacramento to win it all. You did? I you did? <laughs> Proving me right so far. They look really, really good. The team to beat in the USL Championship playoffs. There you have it as uh, Sacramento. Sorry, 3-1 winners. Uh, OCSC, you were at this game against Phoenix. Uh, and unfortunately for you and all the fans that were gathered there, Phoenix wins an extra time, 2-1. to one. Yeah, I I'll tell you what. Uh, it was a good game. Great atmosphere. Woo, the goal right there. I didn't think he was going to beat him, but I had a little too much sauce on it. So look at that. Uh, Orange County then are out. Phoenix Rising advance to so the conference final in the West will be Sacramento Republic against Phoenix Rising. And the conference final in the East. What a doozy. Louisville City against the Charleston Battery. All that ahead of the USL final November 12th, which you can watch on ESPN2. Before we get out of here on this edition of Football America, it's time for our parting shot. Now, here on the East Coast, Sebi, he gets the hate mail. He does not get the VIP treatment. But out there on the West Coast, the boys are treated well. Perk and crew going out to Orange County. How was it, buddy? It was beautiful. Look, Gigi right there enjoying the game, a little VIP experience. I was more than pleasantly surprised at the atmosphere and what James Keston, the owner of Orange County SC, and Oliver Weiss, the president and GM, what they've created. It was one of the better atmospheres that I've been to at any sporting mm -hmm. event. Now, I don't live close to Orange County. It was a trek mm -hmm. to get out there, but when I got out there, I was more than surprised. Uh, they got a good product going. The fans were engaged. The game was intense. You could feel the atmosphere. The stadium looked beautiful. Spoke to Oliver Weiss and James Keston. They got future plans of extending that stadium. Nice. Uh, make it, yeah, it was 5,500 people at the game. They're going to invite you into the ownership so, team or what? So, relax, relax, relax. <laughs> but they got a good thing going. I just want to thank them for inviting me out. I, I've been reluctant to go, but I'm glad I did. I really enjoyed myself. Yep. Unfortunately, Phoenix, comeback kids. They did it against San Diego. They do it against Orange County. Now we'll have to go do it against Sacramento, but your boy enjoyed himself. And you got to come down one day, Seb, because Producer I Beto and I, I had a I great heard, time. Did Producer Beto, did he behave himself out there? Did he what? Did he behave himself, Producer Beto? I saw him with the mascot hanging out. <laughs> he behaved himself. It was all good. It was all good. All right. Excellent. Well, speaking of the USL, uh, coming up on Thursday's show, we are efforting an interview with the aforementioned Danny Cruz uh, of Louisville City, who are in the Eastern Conference Final yet again. So we look forward to that. We're also working on another interview that could be very, 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 very big. Uh, I don't want to tease it, but keep an eye on Herc's social media, uh, just in case that interview does come to Me? fruition. He's Hercules Gomez, dressed as Sebi Salazar. I'm Seb, dressed as Hercules Corporate Gomez. Seb. Where's my working class MVP hat? Where's my, my shirt with too many flowers? Sounders TV, baby. NA Cell shirt, okay, I see you.